Welcome to a podcast called Intrepid. I'm Stephanie Carvin. As of this recording, Ottawa police have begun an operation to remove the convoy in a hope of ending an occupation which has occurred for three weeks. While many Ottawa residents feel that the so-called Freedom Convoy has overstayed its welcome, events have otherwise been moving quickly. On Monday, February 14th, the government invoked the Emergencies Act for the first time. This has immediately resulted in a debate over whether or not these measures were warranted, an issue we will no doubt be returning to in a future podcast. Arguably, the most important powers the government is granting itself under this legislation are financial ones, freezing individual and corporate accounts of the protesters and going after crowdfunding money to both deter and stop those involved. As usual, when we're discussing financial issues, I turn to Jess Davis, president of Insight Threat Intelligence, to provide us with an update over what has happened over the last two weeks. And just as a personal note, if you haven't subscribed to her Substack, you absolutely should. However, before we begin, I just want to wish my fellow residents of Ottawa well. We've been through a lot, and with some luck, we're coming to a peaceful end. And now, the podcast. Hi, Jess. Thanks for coming on again in the midst of the, I don't know, Ottawa liberation? That's what it feels like. It does feel like that. And thanks for having me on again, Steph. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to date and timestamp this because last time we recorded this and then everything went crazy literally three hours later. So it is February 18th at 1230 PM. As we speak, the police seem to have commenced arresting people in downtown Ottawa. And But what we want to focus on here is, again, returning to the financial aspect. Because when we last left, we were talking about the GoFundMe situation. And then three hours later, they canceled that that crowdfunding resource. And then another site, a Christian site called Give, Send, Go was then immediately started up. There was two different Give, Send, Go campaigns. There was an emergency order on the 11th of February where that money, uh, at least an order to seize that money was made. Mm-hmm. And then the Give, Send, Go said no, but they were hacked mercilessly this past weekend. And we found out actually who was donating to this or <laughs> allegedly donating to it. We'll get, actually get to that in a second. And then on Monday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, everyone's favorite day is also Emergency Act Day. It's how I like to celebrate my Valentine's Day is with Emergency Acts. So, and that brought in a whole suite of financial measures. So I wanted to bring you back on the pod to talk about this. And the only thing I'm going to say to our listeners right now is obviously we're going to talk about the Emergencies Act at some point. We've talked about it on prior podcasts, but we've decided to wait until we know where this is going in Parliament before we actually do a pod on this sometime next week. So hold tight. Everything's moving. Our podcast is largely about cold takes, not hot takes. So it's been Mm. a little bit challenging to try and do this as this kind of situation has unfolded so quickly. But Jess, you're here. Let's start with crowdfunding. What should we take away from the, I don't know, everything that happened? Yeah, so the Emergencies Act measures were fairly sweeping. One of them was this focus on crowdfunding, though. So we can start with the the restraint order on on the GoFundMe fund. So that happened, I don't know, last week, the week before. You, you said some dates. Um, what is time? What is time? Know. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It happens, right? Yeah. yeah. So okay. the give se- the, the GoFund- restraining order at the provincial one or the federal one. That was a that was a provincial restraint order based on a criminal investigation. Okay, so, so was this February was all 11th, right. Yeah, it was related to the mischief the criminal mischief piece. So that happened. Give, send, GoFundMe basically froze the, the campaign, refund 
after some protest from people, including myself on the internet, asking them why they were going to donate the money to a charity, they said, okay, just kidding. We're going to actually refund this to all of the donors. Yes. Great. Just kidding. Great. Okay. Just kidding. Fantastic. Great policy folks. Then what happened is that of course the, the occupation and protest organizers moved to another crowdfunding site, the Give, Send, Go that you mentioned earlier. They started raking in the dough and we actually saw people donating two and three times on the Give, Send, Go, basically in in defiance of this order. But remember, I think this is really important. At this point in time, when the Give, Send, Go is established, the protest has been called unlawful. We have seen a very clear indication of criminal activity, a restraint order. And yet these people still chose to donate to the Give, Send, Go crowdfunding campaign in support of what has now been declared an illegal an unlawful protest. So I think that's really important when we talk about how they're being people are being affected by the hack, which then happens a couple of days later. So what's that, what's happened with that is that it seems like Give Send Go is poorly configured security, and it's allowed some individual or individuals to exfiltrate data on. If initially it was just about who had started the campaigns, which wasn't a huge surprise for anybody, it was our usual suspects, and also not that useful from an intelligence perspective. But then they went after the donor data, and that's when things got very interesting. So now we have this list. Um, I've been reading, journalists have been doing some really good work in terms of validating some of the people on the list, calling them up and asking them, did you donate? What's your comment on this? And, And so we are seeing some validation of this data. So it is not fake data, as far as we know. Lots of other problems with the data that are well beyond the scope of the pod. But basically, it looks like with some reliability and some certainty, A good amount of money did come into Canada from U.S. donors. Lots of money came into Canada, into the crowdfunding campaign from Canadian donors. And now we have a fairly complete list of who in Canada, and including in Ottawa, donated to support the occupation of downtown Ottawa. Right. Okay. So a couple of questions from that. The first thing I will point out is Give, Send, Go has repeatedly said it's not subject to Canadian law. Um, That... I think is true, but the payment processors, which we talked about last time are because you have, in order to get money into the country through uh, services like PayPal and Stripe, they they have to actually register with authorities. That's correct. A give, send, go has always been a little bit cagey about who their payment processor is, but I found an article, uh, maybe Washington Post, maybe somebody else who actually looked at the source code for the website and identified with a reasonable element of certainty that it's either WePay or PayPal. And if it's PayPal, they are 100% a registered money service business in Canada. So they are, to a certain extent, covered by Canadian regulations. And then, of course, once any of that money touches a Canadian bank account, that's also covered by our regulations. So it is technically true that crowdfunding platforms are not regulated and are not monitored by FinTrack, but other elements or other parts of their activities are well captured. So this isn't really something that identifies a big gap. Right. Okay. And that's actually important for the Emergencies Act, which we keep promising we're going to get to, but we haven't yet. You know, it's just so interesting to me, like this is a company that has spent so much of its time, you know, trying to troll Canada online, but didn't do like the very basic things to secure its very sensitive information. I just want to point that out for my own satisfaction. So again, can we use this data? This is always a really interesting question. And sometimes it comes up when we talked about data sets with regards to CSIS and how it can use certain kind of classes of information. This is, this information is stolen, right? Yeah. Even though it was vulnerable, it was right there. I, I don't think it, there's any way 
in which you could actually describe this information as legally sourced, mm -hmm. right? So can authorities actually use it when it comes to debanking, de-risking? Uh, and is there a difference between what the government can use and say what a bank can use? Yeah, there's a huge difference in terms of what they're, they're able to use. So this is exactly the kind of thing that banks will look at. I would be surprised if anybody's basing their their seizures or, or restraints on, on just this data. They're going to be doing a lot more verification than that. But it is a, is it a very important point in terms of who is involved in the protest. And we can talk about the other ways the banks are going to be looking for individuals later. But basically, the Emergencies Act measures, the financial measures, were very broadly written. And they were written, I think, intend, intending for donors to the campaign to be captured under those orders. And so having this data now public enables and re requires banks to take action on it. Okay, wow. With that's, verification. Yeah. That's big. That's pretty yeah. big. Okay, so then I think, okay, we've hinted at this enough. Let's get to the good stuff. The Let's get into it. <laughs> and by good stuff, I mean like, wow, this is big. It's not so to endorse it. It's just to acknowledge the enormity of these kind of financial actions. Jess, you must be, um, you must have had a week is what I'm trying to say. When you pinged me in our chat, I was terrified because <laughs> <laughs> you were probably about the seventh person who was like, Jess, where are you? <laughs> You have to tune into the news, the presser right now, because this is massive. Yeah, it's been yeah. a week. It's been insane. And it's for like somebody who's really into financial intelligence and financial powers. I've been able to nerd out so hard. So it's been great. Okay. That's what we're here for though, right? Like, this is let's, what we're let's here nerd for. Out. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So let's talk about these financial actions. This is something that I think I've talked about with Mike. And I think I talked a little bit about with you is targeting this movement using nonviolent means. The One of the best ways to do this is, is to go after the money right? Like, like why this seems to have been something that we could have done and we could have possibly done under provincial legislation, but that didn't seem to happen. So now we have the Emergencies Act. And I would actually argue that the best case for the Emergencies Act, if you want to make it, not necessarily saying it's, it's the right thing mm -hmm. to do, but if you wanted to make it, I would actually argue the financial steps taken would be the best justification for it. Yeah, I think that there's arguments to be made. I, you, you know this already, but I have some reservations about the use of the financial measures. Sure. But I'm and that's, also, yeah. So yeah. And I think, but they're also potentially maybe not always that useful, but maybe will be discouraging people. So there's just a lot of toing and froing here from me. You're, you're not going to get a very firm um, opinion on it at the moment. Cause I think part of it is also in terms of how they are applied. So if there's a lot of restraint used in terms of who gets targeted by these measures, that's one thing. If it's a very sweeping, and if people really get caught up in it, that's an entirely different one. But let's talk about the substance of this. Yeah, so the first piece of it, when Deputy Prime Minister Freeland was outlining these measures, she really talked about four different things. So the first one was crowdfunding. We'll come back to that. And we've already talked about it a little bit. The second one was restraint or seizing and freezing funds were the, were the second and third. And then the fourth one was enhanced information sharing. So what this basically means on the seizing and freezing, and it became clearer in the regulations what this actually means, is basically if you're a designated person, and, and that's outlined in those regulations, but basically if you're involved in this protest in any kind of way, you are a designated person. That means that your account will be frozen, that it will, that banks are required to not provide you with financial services. When the deputy prime minister was speaking, it was unclear to me whether this would be could language, but it is actually very clearly will. Um, wow. So it is compelling the banks to do this activity. It is not 
upon at, at their discretion. So can I just basic- ask quickly mm-hmm. when you say designated persons, mm-hmm. what is the limit of that? Is that someone who has sent money to a give, send, go, or is that someone who has to actually physically be there? No, it's broad. So it can oh, include wow. the donors. Yeah. Okay. And, and actually subsequently, I think yesterday or the day before, again, what is time, the deputy prime minister did clarify that donors can be targeted by this measure in statements to the press. So yeah, it is sweeping measures. I think when we look at these measures, I'm going to argue both sides of this. They're sweeping, they're unprecedented. But we also think about the proportionality of the measures in terms of what's been happening in downtown Ottawa. Think about also the thousands of people who have been laid off from their job going on three weeks now. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's important to like emphasize this because proportionality is a key part of how we apply and consider these measures. Think oh, about the okay. businesses that have been put out of business, the damage that's being done downtown, the, the cost to the people who actually live there and are being disrupted by this. Like, when you think about all of those things and the economic consequences of that for a lot of people in the downtown core, these measures do come off as a bit more proportional that way. Again, sweeping, lots of room for unintended consequences. One of those unintended, some of the unintended consequences that I've been pointing out in my Substack, and I actually really encourage any listeners to go and read that. It is behind a paywall. I have done my best to make it accessible on my Twitter feed, but it's like the details are in, in, in those newsletters. This is actually um, your business though. This is my good. business. <laughs> you it's can buy you- me a car. Yeah. <laughs> it is how I pay my bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. But when we talk about these measures and we think about them, it's really important to think about the effects that they're having on the individuals involved. The idea of freezing a protester's account and preventing them from being able to execute financial transactions is a huge deal. But when you also then look at the people who've been laid off from their work, or maybe haven't been able to work because they live in the downtown core and have been disrupted constantly by the honking, like there is a proportionality there. The unintended consequences piece, which I think is really important, are things like if there are people who are caught up in these measures who are paying child support, they're not going to be able to do that because their financial transactions have been restricted. They can't pay their mortgages. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay for their insurance. Some of these are very specifically intended consequences, particularly that insurance piece, but the other ones do pose the potential to seriously harm people. When we think about this though, in terms of like, what's the clause, how to get people out of this? There's no you know, way to work around this, but there is one very clear way to work around it. It's for them to leave. Right. So... Yeah. So I think these are all the things that people should be considering when we're thinking about how sweeping these measures are, their proportionality, just to give people a sense of what that really is. Thank you for breaking that down, actually. I think that's probably the best explanation and of, of what needs to be considered when we're thinking about and evaluating these issues. For me, like I said, like someone goes down a rabbit hole on Facebook, ends up in this protest suddenly doesn't have a bank account. Is that the same as someone like a Pat King who's been driving around like stupid Joker in Ottawa and trying to just create as much chaos as possible? Like there, there is that, but I mean, that also might be reflected in criminal charges, but yeah, very, very helpful. And I think we also now need to reflect on how this is being applied. So when the regulations and the measures were first announced, they look sweeping. Subsequently, it seems that What's actually happening is that the RCMP appears to be providing lists to banks and cryptocurrency exchanges of assets that need to be be frozen, accounts that need to be subject to this order. Um, 
which is really different than having banks use the give, send, go data and just freezing everything that they can see. That may be what's happening, but I suspect it's being used a little bit more tar- in a more targeted way. Because there's probably going to be some kind of lawsuit out of this or some kind of challenge. Definitely challenge. Banks are also risk averse, conservative, but also profit motivated. So they're weighing a ton of different things here. And actually some of the conversations that I had with some of my banking colleagues were that they wanted to be reporting some of the the financial transactions associated with the convoy, but they couldn't do it under our existing legislation. So there's certainly some give and take here. That's interesting. This, we'll get back to that. We'll get back Yeah, to this that. is all yeah. stuff though that I think again when we think about these measures, we need to think about how they are actually applied in practice, whether we need to have more restraints on that application and all of that kind of thing, the kind of things that need to come out in an inquiry. Right. Okay. I really, that's really interesting. And I should say the deputy prime minister and and finance minister, Christian Freeland did say that she's regularly, or she's briefing or her staff are briefing the banks regularly. They're having conversations on how to handle this, whether or not that includes measures to reinstate accounts. I don't know. My understanding from officials is they don't necessarily want this to be a forever thing, but while this convoy poses a threat, that this is something that, that is going to happen. Yeah. And so the emergency orders are for 30 days. So, but, you know, but, the, the, but de- being debanked isn't. Yeah. But there's no, so far, I haven't heard a lot of talk about actual debanking of individuals. That may not be true for the very prominent organizers. Banks may decide that they are not clients that they would like to provide services to, and that's their own risk internal decision. But for the vast majority of people, that's probably not going to be something that happens. We can have a conversation about whether that's right. We won't do that today. I'm sure we'll be revisiting this for a long time. So you mentioned a little bit that you want to get back to crowdfunding, but I want to talk about crypto. But I think these two issues are, are somehow combined. Yeah. When we say that we want to talk about crypto crowdfunding, I'm not sure that's true. Do we really want to talk about this? Probably not, but here we are. So let's talk about crypto (laughs) crowdfunding platforms and crypto at the same time. So what has happened? Yeah. Good luck with this. Buckle up people. We're going to do what we can here. (laughs) So we have a crowdfunding platform. It is called TallyCoin. It accepts cryptocurrency donations, particularly Bitcoin. So one of the measures in the Emergencies Act orders was to bring that crowdfunding company, the TallyCoin, the crypto crowdfunding company, under the regulations for FinTrack. This is the one gap that I see these regulations actually addressing because TallyCoin wasn't regulated as a cryptocurrency exchange and it wasn't regulated as a money service business, a payment processor, or a crowdfunding site. So it was just really this gap. But at the same time, I also want to emphasize that this is really a very direct reaction from what I can see to this particular protest. I have never identified crowdfunding sites and even cryptocurrency crowdfunding sites as a major illicit financing threat or risk. In fact, I have an article again on my Substack in which I talk about all of the examples that I've ever come up with of illicit actors using these sites. And it's a short article. They are used... Crypto crowdfunding in general sites are used in a fraudulent way. People start a, a campaign that isn't actually real, but that's that's really different than what we're talking about here. So I was going to say, like, we have the Freedom Truck Coin thing that they've started. Oh, oh like that, that's a, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if that's related to this, but I don't think I it's mean, doing well right now. 
No, last time I looked, it was tanking along with the protest itself. So right. I, I, I don't want to talk about their coin. Their That's token. fair. It's, Let's save that for, there's going to be so much time to unpack all of this. Let's just focus on the crowdfunding angle. Yeah. The thing that I'll say about that coin is that it's very similar to other movements and extremist activity that we've seen on particular amongst ideologically motivated extremists. It's very common to try to adopt cryptocurrencies to get away from state-backed currencies. There's an ideological component. They think they're circumventing the laws. They're not always circumventing the laws. So a lot to unpack there for sure. The other piece on the cryptocurrency that's so, so interesting is a while ago, probably several weeks ago, who knows when it was, I identified that the protesters and the protest organizers were starting to move to Bitcoin fundraisers. So the tally coin was one of them. They were actually also doing, accepting direct donations to wallets. And they had a couple of other sort of and that's bigger just, fun- just for people mm-hmm. who may not know, that's where you have like someone's like digital ID wallet and you can just directly send them money. Yeah. And it, it, largely circumvents our regulations. Not entirely. There are still touch points with the regulated sector, but there's also, you just generally don't do this with with huge amounts of money. It's uncommon, I think, to host thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in your um, personal unhosted wallet because it's really then difficult to get it turned into actual dollars that you buy things with. Because like, while we are an advanced digital economy and we do embrace cryptocurrency in Canada, physically transferring that into food, water, hotel rooms is actually still quite challenging. So one of the ways you can do it, you can go to a cryptocurrency ATM. There's one around the corner from my house. I test drove this a little while ago, just because that's the kind of nerd that I am. I like it. Experiential learning. (laughs) I like, I'm an experiential learner. I love a proof of concept. So there are ways to do it, but it is time consuming and it's not super useful. So that's sort of the cryptocurrency piece. Um, Then there's a couple of other developments on that front, of course. So the RCMP has circulated a list of cryptocurrency wallet addresses to the major exchanges, asking them to, well, telling them to freeze the account, freeze the assets. Hopefully that's happening. I have a little bit of a hesitation. Not all of our cryptocurrency exchanges are as compliant with Canadian laws and regulations as we might like them to be. The vast majority are wonderful. I'm shocked that there's people in the cryptocurrency community that don't obey the law. I'm shocked. Yeah, it's shocking, right? But I would say this is 95% fine, 5% not fine. We'll see what happens from that. And then we've also seen a lawsuit uh, that's been brought by an Ottawa lawyer, Paul Champ, who asked the courts in a very unprecedented move to freeze the cryptocurrency assets. Because what was happening is that there was concern that the protesters, the truckers, the convoy, the occupiers were actually moving money out of the supposed to be frozen and seized wallets into other wallets. Now, the interesting thing, of course, about cryptocurrency is that there's a public blockchain, so you can see this happening. Hopefully this is a successful freeze because these assets are the kind of thing that need to be held if that lawsuit is successful. This is where some of the damages could come from. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, but just to be clear, that attempt uh, to get the court to seize or stop the transferring of these funds, or or at least hiding the money, that has to deal with a a civilian lawsuit or a class action lawsuit, not the class action, and nothing to do with the emergency orders. No. Right. Okay. So, what? (laughs) I mean, I hate to say what now because like we're literally in the middle of this. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. We don't know, and we can say that. But I guess the last point I I would leave us with because. Again, keeping in the spirit of, of keeping these kind of pods short for digestion purposes. You wrote, you just wrote a piece for GNET 
on extremist movements and crowdfunding. And it's a really good piece. And I'll make sure that we've linked to it in the notes for this pod. But you say that, okay, we've brought in this emergencies legislation. We can talk about that and what was necessary and what wasn't. But this line that you have in the piece, I really like, which is that you're saying that this entire situation exposes a far greater problem in Canada, a lack of investment in resources to investigate and prosecute financial crimes of all types, including those being enabled by new financial technologies. That's a big note to, to end on, I think. But is there anything that you would say to that? I mean, We've had you on before. We've talked about how we just simply have underinvested in our money laundering investigations, our, our counterterrorism fin uh, finance investigations, and that we've been taken to task for this by different international organizations. Yeah. And so when I hear the government standing up and talking about following the money, first of all, I'm going to be really pedantic here and say that this isn't about following the money. This is about stopping the money. Uh, nobody needs to follow anything here. It's pretty obvious where it's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> but that to me says, great, they're ready to invest in this very important source of intelligence, this really important disruptive measure that we can use against all kinds of different activities. So I want to see the investment in order to be able to do that properly. So, you know, when we talk about expanding FinTrack's mandate to look at crowdfunding, crowdfunding platforms, that needs to be accompanied by a significant budget increase in their compliance function. They have hundreds of compliance staff supervising tens of thousands of reporting entities in Canada. I have a hard time seeing how they can be effective at that. And I say that with all of the love in my heart for FinTrack and, and the job that they do, but there's like a numbers problem here, right? And then the same thing is very much true, money laundering and terrorist financing investigations. We just have not invested in the skills and it's been difficult to get a lot of political attention on these issues. So this is a difficult thing to explain to the public, but it's so critical to really securing the, the integrity and the stability of our financial system and our international standing ultimately. I like that, Jess. I think that's really important. Uh, that's something we will absolutely come back to. I think we will harp on this. I, I think it's a point. I always I, will. I, and, and it's great. That's why, that's why we, you're here. I just want to end the podcast, but the fact that I've just been made aware that Pat King has now been arrested and we're definitely in the find out stage of this. This is a very exciting time. Indeed. Jess, thanks so much for coming on and best wishes to everyone out there in Ottawa. Hang on. We'll get through this. Stay strong, everyone.